Sugar. Henry Sugar. Oh, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Ring a bell? No. What if I tell you the the author is none other than Rodal? What about that? When people always talk about Matilda or Fantastic Mr. Fox or、uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, I always say the the wonderful story of、uh, Henry Sugar is probably one of my favorite Rodal, but. Not many people have checked it out because there are so many stories. He wrote so many stories. That's true. But now, thanks to Wes Anderson, you know the Wes Anderson, he made a bunch of adaptations of Rodell's, like the wonderful story of Henry Sugar is the first one, and it's not even a one-off. There are it's just a start of a larger project, and there are three more like this one. The Rat Catcher and the Poison, all coming. It's all on Netflix, so and and it's all fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. I like ninety ninety five percent fresh. So it's just not just me saying it's great adaptations. Everyone else thought so.、Uh, you should check it out. But today, of course, we are just gonna tell you talk about my favorite. The wonderful story of Henry Sugar, but before I talk about that, I thought I could lure you or recommend you to check out the Wes Anderson movie, the adaptation. In the beginning, I was also kind of doubt like whether Wes Anderson, you know, Wes Anderson's sensibility is perfectly suited to that of Rodell's or not, or the other way around. They're both famous, so I don't know. But it turns out to be great. I really like watch or listening to like story picture books. It's really like that, and and not to mention the actors. It's just Ben Kingsley, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Dave Dev Patel, and Voldemort himself. You know Ralph Fiennes, and everybody is just so wonderful. Just I could just close my eyes and listen to their. Narrate narrations, but also when you open your eyes, there are like bunch of picture books style, very stylized,、uh, Wes Anderson creations. So, I I really recommend you check it out. Wonderful, wonderful movie. I'll tell you、uh, like first two minutes of the movie. Like so, first Phineas as Rodell in a very stylized version of his writing shade at. Gypsy House, where Wes Anderson resided for a time, and briefly describes his writing process. And he gets up from his chair, steps out his front door, and begins to recite the titular short story. What follows that was not the actual words or typewriter kind of thing. It's、uh, the wall starts to change. It's so wonderful to see that. Really like a picture book, and the background walls start to change, like wall to wall voiceover, as、uh, now like just various characters pass the baton to tell the story. Ralph or Rodell himself introduces Henry Sugar as Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch has Henry Sugar, a rich and idle bachelor, interesting. 
like making his fortune, who stumbled upon a strange book in a library, and that book titled "A Report to Indadkam, the Man Who Sees Without Using His Eyes." And you know, in the beginning, he's like wonderful acting. Let me just say, wonderful narration and wonderful acting from Cumberbatch and from everybody really. And he Cumberbatch opened the book. Just no sooner has he opened the book than the voiceover shifts to Dave Patel as this doctor. <clears throat> the doctor Chatterjee, Chatterjee, reading his own reports, and so a perfect addition to this ever-expanding company of actors. And then Kingsley plays Khan, this wonderful man who can see without using his eyes. Enter the scene, and it's like. A yoga, because and then of course,、uh, Patel ask. I'm just gonna call them by the the, the character name, like Doctor Chatterjee. Just ask, how could you see that? How could you do that?、Uh, because doctors, they naturally don't believe in superpowers. I guess they would be like, how could you do、uh, see things without your eyes? And then Khan, that man, start to tell the story like. He was how how he was trained by a yogi, and this kind of street magician who turns out to be a really unique,、um, who possess unique powers or unique skills, to like how to master their their inner like mind power like will power that kind of thing. But anywho, the story just unfolds itself, right? You have to like watch it. Don't worry, it's a happy ending. It's a H E, and I especially like how they just switch the assertion and just like in the end, almost the end, the third act, almost it's like they start to quote unquote say, had this thing,、uh, had this being a made up story instead of true one, it would have been necessary to invent a more poetic outcome. Anyway, you you just have to watch it. It's such a nice adaptation. I loved it, every single one of them. Every single one of the the actors, the narration, but it was super fast paced. You just have to get used to it because Wes Anderson is known to direct movies in this way. I guess everything is faster. Every narration is faster. It's like no interest. It's like there's almost no music. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, let's just talk about this book and check out the movie if you can. The wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Henry Sugar was forty-one years old and unmarried. He was also wealthy. He was wealthy because he had had a rich father, who was now dead. He was unmarried because he was too selfish to share any of his money with a wife. He was six feet two inches tall, but he wasn't really as good-looking as he thought he was. He paid a great deal of attention to his clothes. He went to an expensive tailor for his suits, to a shirt maker for his shirts, and to a bootmaker for his shoes. He uses a costly aftershave lotion on his face, and he kept his hands soft with a cream that contained turtle oil. His hairdresser trimmed his hair once every ten days, and he always took a manicure at the same time. His upper front teeth had been kept at incredible expense because the original had had a rather nasty yellowish tinge, 
a small mole had been removed from his left cheek by a plastic surgeon. He drove a Ferrari car, which must have cost him about the same as a country cottage. He lived in London in the summer, but as soon as the first frost appeared in October, he was off to the West Indies or the south of France, where he stayed with friends. All his friends were wealthy from inherited money. Henry had never done a day's work in his life, and his personal motto, which he had invented himself, was that it is better to incur a mild rebuke. Then to perform an onerous task, skipping and、uh, basically Henry Henry Sugar. Why do I have the tendency to say Henry James? I've been reading too much Henry James. So Henry Sugar and his friends play bunch of silly games, and they were just like, "Now you got a rough idea of what sort of person that Henry Henry Sugar was." I can begin my story. So it was like one summer weekend. Henry drove down from London to Guildford to stay with a friend, and the house was magnificent. But it was rainy. So because it was rainy, and it was like the very rich are enormously resentful of bad weather. It is the one discomfort that their money cannot do anything about. So somebody in the room suggested, "Let's play a game of canasta." For lovely high stakes, and everyone was like, "It's perfectly splendid idea." But Henry drew the lowest draw. They cut the cards, and Henry was out of the game. And Henry was sad, was angry about this out of game situation, and he just started wandering around. And he he just wand wandered out the draw drawing room, at the living room, like a guest room. Into the great hall, and he stared at the pictures for a moment, and then bored, and then started to walk on through the houses, bored to death, and、uh, eventually just merged into the library. And his friend's father had a famous book collector. His friend's father had been a famous book collector, and all the four walls to this huge room, this library, were kind of lined with books. And books, and it was described as from floor to ceiling. But he was not impressed. He wasn't even interested. The only books he read were detective novels and thrillers. It's like okay, detective books and thrillers are, you know, not intelligent. Ha ha, ironic. But the ones in this library was just all leather-bound volumes with names on them like Bozak, Ibsen. Voltaire, Johnson, and Pepsi. So boring, boring, boring. And he thought to himself, the whole lot of it, just boring rubbish. And so eventually, when he was just about to leave, his eyes was caught and held by a book that was quite different from all the rest. So it was so slim, so small, and he would never have noticed it if it hadn't been sticking out. A little from the ones with either side, and when he pulled it from the shelf, he found it's just like a children's exercise book. And on the first page, handwritten in ink, it says a report on an interview with Imrat Khan, the man who could see without his eyes, by Dr. John F. Cartwright, Bombay, India. 
December 1934. And then it goes to a story like this is what Henry read in his little blue exercise book. And it starts with I, John Cartwright, am a surgeon at the Bombay General Hospital. And on the morning of the 2nd of December 1934, I was in a doctor's restroom having a cup of tea. There are other three other doctors there with me, all having a well-earned tea break, and they were all uh, they they were like Dr. Marshall, Dr. Phillips, and Dr. McFarlane. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door. It's like coming. I said, and there was this guy described as an Indian, was a tall man of about thirty with light brown skin and the color of a coconut. He had a small black mustache. Also, there was a curious matting of black hair growing all over the the outside of his ears. Ew! <laughs> and、uh, he wore a white cotton robe, and he had sandals on his bare feet. So it was described like this guy. So basically, this guy can see without using his eyes. So the doctors played a bunch of games with him, like covering his eyes, and then used the What's the thing? The the dough. It's like um. Anyway, just fully bandaged his eyes, and did bunch of things, tests with him, and eventually they do decide that he is legit. He can see without using his eyes, and of course they're super curious, and、uh, they were like, "How did you do that? What's the trick?" And this guy is like, "There's no trick. It's just how I do it." But anyway, the matter is, he is making his living by doing this theater work. It's Royal Palace Hall in India. He's traveling around, but wherever he goes, he go to the best hospital and ask the doctor to covering his eyes, so people know that he is not cheating. Only doctors is trustworthy. He's like, so his request is kind of like. Um, I am doing this show because I, I traveling theater I'm working at, and when we we have just arrived here in Bombay, so tonight we give our opening performances, and in this royal palace hall, this place, and my name is Emrat Khan. I'm the man who sees without his eyes, and I am the star. Like star performer, so whenever I'm, I was in a new town. I myself go straight to the largest hospital, and I ask the doctors there to bandage my eyes. I ask them to do it in the most expert fashion. They must make sure my eyes are completely covered, many times over, and it is important that this job is done by doctors. Otherwise, people will think he is cheating, and eventually the doctors. Agreed to help him, so the whole of the Indian's head was now kind of swathed in thick white bandages, and the only thing you could see was the end of his nose sticking out for breathing. And they describe him like someone who had had some terrible brain operation. And everyone's like, "How does that feel?" And the Indian's, "It feels good. I must compliment you, gentlemen, on doing such a fine job." And the doctors was like, "Off you go then," and he started to、uh, got off the bed and walked straight to the door and opened the door and went out. So the doctors were like, "Wow, great Scott!" Not only did he saw the doorknob, and he also dodged a trolley, like a food trolley, and then walked down the stairs and、uh, went to the 
the outside they were describing the hospital has some really uh steep step uh, stairs i think anyway he just walked right out and everyone was just like and also it's like uh, when he walked down the steps and the outside the and the children they all cheered and shouted and surged towards him and he greeted them by holding both hands above his head and suddenly they they see the bicycle it's like uh this guy's gonna ride the bike without using his eyes so and they saw the bicycle was written on something like i had a, a few words on it and said I'm Imrat Khan, the man who sees without using his eyes. And today my eyes have been bandaged by the hospital doctors. So that the words. And here it's like then the the kind of cards, like a advertisement was saying like, come on, don't miss it. You will see miraculous performances. And this week at Royal Palace Hall at 7 p.m., please come so that was the thing and then eventually these two doctors was just like what just happened and the performances at royal palace hall was of course incredible and spectacular bunch of acts was done by him and this doctor was just like i couldn't stop thinking about this this is like medical like um how's it wonders you do wonderful things it's crazy so this doctor was like I need to go in and talk to him. He's like, uh, I did you a like small fever this morning. So would you do me one in return? Would you like consent to come out and have supper with me? And all this wrapping now was off his head now. And he smiled at him. It's like, I think you're feeling curious, doctor. Am I not right? And very curious, the doctor said, I'd like to talk to you. And then he was... Mm, but this is kind of gross he, he was just like i am noticing this particularly thick mating of black hair growing on outside of his ears and not see, seeing anything quite like this in another on another person and uh, this guy was like okay i have never been questioned by a doctor before so i have no objection it would be a pleasure to have supper with you and then yeah they would just start talking and the story unfolds and then the, the doctor trying to convince him to tell him the whole story is like i am a doctor so if you will tell me your whole story like from the beginning if you will explain to me how you developed this magical power of being able to see without using your eyes i will write it down as faithfully as i can because then, you know, perhaps I can get it published in the British Medical Journal or even in some famous magazine because I am a doctor and not just some writer trying to sell a story for money. So people will be far more inclined to take it seriously what I say. It would help you, right? And so to become better known. And the Indian was like, mm, yeah, it will help me very much. But why should you want to do it? And the doctor was like, because I'm madly curious. That is the only reason. I think I want to pause a little bit before we go on telling the story. I was like, you see, a doctor not fixed on money. He just madly curious. He couldn't sleep if he couldn't get this story. So it's like people are fixed 
fixated on things that they are passionate about. So uh, the man started to tell the story. He took a mouthful of this rice and chewed it slowly, and he said, "Very well, my friend, I will do it." And it was just like, splendid. Let's go back to my flat as soon as we finish eating, and then we can talk without anyone disturbing us. So this guy really starts from the beginning. He's like, "I am an Indian, a Hindu, and I was born in Agnor." In Kashmir states in 1905, like my family is poor and my father worked as a ticket inspector on the railway. When I was a small boy of 13, an Indian conjurer comes to our school and gives a performance. His name I remember is Professor Moore. All conjurers in India call themselves Professor, and his tricks was very good. Like many tricks actually. Uh, metrics are all very good. So, so very impressed as he was, he just think it is real magic. I feel he felt like a powerful wish to learn this magic himself. So two days later, he run away from home, determined to find and follow this new hero, Professor Moore, and take all the savings and full. It's not much, just. Fourteen rupees, and only take the clothes he was wearing, like dotties and sandals, and that was when this guy was thirteen years old. So the story goes, he just followed this guy, Professor Moore, but very soon they would just start to perform together, like conjurers doing those shitty things, shitey things together. But、uh, there was a bombshell. He received one. Suddenly, it comes to him. It occurs to him that there is no real magic in this Professor Moore. That all is trickery and quickness of the hands. And immediately, this this professor is no longer his hero, and he loses every bit of interest in this whole pursuing. But at the same time. His whole mind becomes filled with this very strong longing, and he longs above all things to find out about this real magic. He wants to discover something about this strange power, which is called yoga. So to do this, he must find a yogi who is willing to let him become his disciple, and this is not going to be easy. Apparently, true yogis. They are there are only very few of them in the whole of India, and they are fanatically religious people. Therefore, if he wants to have like succeed in finding one, finding a teacher,、uh, then he too will have to pretend to be very religious man. And that story keep going. He was like, I'm not really religious, but because of that, I am what you would call a bit of a cheat. And he wanted to acquire yoga powers purely for selfish reasons. And he wanted to use the, those powers to get fame and fortune. And now this was something that true yogi would、uh, absolutely despise more than anything in the world. And here the yogi practices was described in. Like it was an art. It was practiced in those arts only in absolute privacy, and as a religious kind of service. Otherwise, he will be smitten to death. And of course, this guy was like, "I did not believe that, and I still don't believe that." But anyway, he just started his search for yogi instructor. And then after he leaves this professor Moore, he he joined this traveling theater. 
company and had to make a living while he was searching for this secret and already uh, like Yugi. So after three years, now he was 16 and saved a bunch of money, actually, according to him, a great sum, 2,000 rupees. And at this time, when he was 16 now, he, he heard news of this man called Banaji. And this Banaji is said is one of the truly great yugis of India. And he possessed extraordinary powers. Above all, people are telling of how he has acquired the real power of levitation. So when he prays, his whole body leaves the ground and becomes suspended in the air, 18 inches from the soil. And he was like, ah, that, that's finally here. This is the man for me. And fast forward, just for six months, he searched for this Banaji. And people just keep on telling like where this Banaji is living and where is he, where and where is he. And they're like, he used, I mean, our guy used all the money he saved to try to find him. And he spent all the savings and also uh, uh, spent all the savings and uh, all except 35 rupees and it's no good. And he stayed in this place and make, make a living actually by doing the ordinary conjuring tricks learned from this Professor Moore. So I guess in a way he was trying to, uh, the, at least Rodell was trying to tell you that everyone, even liars, the tricksters you met in your life can teach you something and you can use. So by nature, our guy said, my hand was very flexible so I can make some money as well out of those tricks. And then one day he was sitting in a small hotel and then began to hear talks of this Yugi Banerjee. A traveler is saying how he was, he has heard that Banerjee is now living in the jungle, not so very far away. And that's in this dense jungle and all alone. And our guy is just trying to uh, find him. Eventually he found him. But before he saw this Yugi, there was a long description of how he found it. It was, I think the point is he really went through hell. It's like, if you have go through all these things, it's like a torture for your mind and body, then you can become something. So for example, I'm going to describe you a little bit. So first of all, he went into this dense jungle with one of his disciples he actually didn't know that's one of his disciples he later find out he was like oh i want to be like join you i want to be one of his disciples and the other disciple was like no impossible and anyway he just uh, followed he when he lose sight of this disciple and he just followed his sound because it's like whole jungle after like half an hour or an hour and it was just this tense game of follow the leader goes on and on and suddenly you just lose the sight of this guy and the disciple just have already disappeared and then he just knew he just kind of strike of luck he just knew this place was like a, a great clearing place was absolutely the place of energy he just knew for certain and he must have gone and the other disciple must have gone into one of the huts because all is quiet and he just found this huge tree where you could build a house there and still couldn't be noticed 
and he was like, "I this is going to be my place, will be my tree, and I will hide there to observe the the kind of meditation and the praying uh, process." And then, because the disciple told him, the time is not until five or six in the evening, so he just went back to the driver. It's like I have to wait a few hours more. I don't care. I don't care about anything for this moment. I can pay you more, not even money. I don't even care about money. And now I just wanna、uh, have this great, um, like my calling is here. So I don't care about any of those things. So he described how he the heat in the jungle, and just few hours on waiting, and he was just hiding on this tree. Nothing matters, and he was just like. He was there for forty-five minutes, and he was like, "Oh, I have a watch," and I just sat in the tree and waiting and waiting. And all at once, a man is coming out of the hut. The man is tall and thin. He is dressed in this orange-colored dhoti, and he carries before him a tray with brass pots and incense burners. And he goes over and sat down. Sits down on and cross-legged on his mat by the water hole, and yeah, there there was a water hole. So putting the tray on the ground before him, and all the movements that he makes seems very calm and gentle. And he leans for forward and scoops a handful of water from the pool and throws it over his shoulders, and he takes the incense. And、the burners also, and passes it back and forth across his chest, slowly in a gentle, flowing manner. And he puts his hand palm downwards on his knees, and he pauses. He takes a long breath through his nostrils. I can see he's taking this long breath. It's like deep, deep breath. And suddenly. He can see his face is changing, and there's a sort of kind of brightness coming over all his face, a sort of he described as a sort of brightness on his skin. It's like his skin is like shiny and changing, and for fourteen minutes he remained quite still in that position, and then he saw. Slowly and slowly, slowly off he goes. He's still sitting cross-legged. The hand palm downwards on the knee, and his whole body, his whole body is lifting slowly off the ground, up in the air, and now he can see daylight underneath him, twelve inches above the ground he is setting, fifteen inches, eighteen, twenty, and soon he is at least two feet above the mat. And he just like, oh my goodness, levitating before his eyes. Absolutely true. So I think that's all for today. This is part one, I guess, and we will come back for part two. See, a lot of messages already delivered. Did you catch them?